0: Well, if you've got your Bibles with you tonight, I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and turn to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. That's where we have been nestled for a few weeks in chapter 3. I'm I'm actually going to move past the section of Scripture to go down to uh, verses 16 and 17 tonight. That's where we're going to camp out. That's where we're going to set up shop. That's where we're going to wrestle with God's Word tonight. And um, let it bruise us that we might be blessed like Jacob as he wrestled with God. Um, But beginning in verse 16, uh, the Scripture says, Do you not know? That you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys the temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. This is the Word of God. I would hang as a title over the teaching of this particular text, Warning, warning, do not harm God's temple. Now when you hear that and you read this passage of Scripture, there are all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of ideas that begin to to move across our minds. Things we've heard Um, As children, things we've been taught, perhaps rightly or maybe wrongly. I I don't know. Um, I do know that when we read this passage tonight, that we have come to one of the most misinterpreted and consequently misapplied verses of Scripture in all of the New Testament. We, we're so guilty, we, we all are at times, of coming to a place in Scripture and we just sort of brush over it, read over it quickly, and we just sit back and we form an opinion based off of our quick little reading of a text. I tell you that we need to dig sometimes. We need to to interrogate a text. We need to to set a text in its context so that we can understand what the original writer of that text, as he was under the the influence of the Holy Spirit, giving us this divinely inspired Word so that we can can come to the conclusion of what the author meant as the Spirit moved on it. What is this? I know that um, I used to have, when I was a student pastor for years, this verse of Scripture, for some reason, when I was at Crestline Baptist Church, um, in Tuscaloosa, this verse of Scripture would be brought up by some of my students often. I would, you know, people would ask me, I remember one particular student wanted to know if this was the text, if this is what teaches that if you commit suicide that you go to hell. Is that what that this verse is teaching? And well... Um, I don't mean to disrespect anybody that holds that belief, uh, but verse 17 is not a proof text for that. That's not what that text is saying. Um, I've often heard it used by uh, students that uh, were sometimes... uh, uh, would come on Wednesdays, but on Sundays they attended churches that were more Armenian in theology, and they believed that you can lose your salvation, Um, and so they would think that this particular passage is saying that whatever it means, that, that a believer can lose their salvation and go to hell. Well, that's not what this text is saying. And then I've heard people that believe that this is talking about how your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which it is, That this is talking about that if you smoke or do things that harm your physical temple, then God's going to judge you on this. And Well, this is not exactly what this particular text is uh, saying. I agree, smoking's bad for your health. I, I agree that. Don't smoke. Um, I, I don't really like to be around people that do smoke. And it, with my job with a medics, I go into homes with people that smoke like smokestacks. And I can't hardly take it. But it, the strength of the Lord, I come out and think, oh my goodness, people are going to think I'm a smokestack the way I smell. But uh, anyway, um, physical things da- damage your body. That has nothing to do with this particular verse. So what's the issue here? What's what's the issue here in verse 16 and 17? What's the issue here in particular in verse 17 where the text tells us, where it communicates a very strong warning Okay, It says very strongly that whoever would destroy could also be translated defile. Whoever does that to God's temple is serious. This is a serious thing. Thing. Uh, we can't afford okay, to ride our hobby horse interpretation of it. We need to understand what's here. We can't just bring our personal thoughts to the text and, and walk away with understanding. We want the text to inform our thoughts. We want it to, to shape our understanding, not our understanding to shape the text. And we're all guilty of that at times. And we don't, we don't want that to be true here of this particular text. We, we want to rightly understand exactly what God is communicating through Paul so that we can heed this strong warning. Okay, Because it's a strong warning. Alright, what's he saying? We, wanna, we want to, when we come to this verse, or we come to any verse in Scripture, we want to be obedient to what Paul told young Pastor Timothy when he wrote... Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 when he says study and be eager. By the way, this is the amplified version, extended version. He says study and be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial. A workman who has no cause to be ashamed. Correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. We won't be like that. Okay, that's a goal. Okay, that's what we want to be, and so it's got to be true here. And it's my heart's goal, not just this morning, but every time that I open God's Word. That's what I want to be true, okay? And it's, that's not easy, okay? That's not easy. That's hard work, okay? We've got to be willing to do the hard work of wrestling with God's Word to, to wrestle with it and come to right conclusions. This warning, and I, please hear me this warning in Scripture, and this is a warning, it's real. This is not hyperbole here. This is real. This is not hypothetical. This is real. What it's saying is real. Um, Destroying the temple and facing a divine judgment as a result is a very real predicament that, and get this, anyone in this room could be guilty of if we're not careful so we need to understand what this is saying so we will zero in on the warning of verse 17 in particular tonight and in zeroing in that warning we'll get a feel get a feel for it as it sets in the context of chapter 3, and as it sets in the context of the book of 1 Corinthians. All right? Because of what I want us to do. So we're going to ask some questions of the text. i got about five questions of the text tonight. Okay? Um, and the first question that I would ask of this particular verse, as we interrogate it, is what does it mean to destroy the temple what does it mean the warning text says and i'll say it again says in the esv which is what i use it says if anyone destroys god's temple god will destroy him so what does that mean let's let's if you will in your mind highlight that word destroy in this text let's circle it in our minds let's 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 focus on that because I want us to understand what it means to destroy the temple or to destroy him, okay? Let's see what's being communicated here. Because this word, this word destroy encapsulates the action of the perpetrator who carries out this crime, if you will, of harming the temple. What is this? What does this mean to destroy and to be destroyed? Well, if you were to go and look at this passage in the original languages, uh, Paul uses the same Greek word um, for the action of destroy, the one who is destroying the temple, and the one who is going to be destroyed by God. He uses the same word in the original language. He uses the word um, phyro. Now, that particular word is not used anywhere in the New Testament to refer to eternal destruction. It's not used anywhere in the New Testament to refer to hell. Um, It's a word It specifically means to desecrate or to harm or to corrupt or to spoil. But it's never used in reference to eternal destruction. If, if, If Paul was referring to eternal destruction, he would have used the word alethros... For example, that he uses in a place like Second mm, Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9 when he talks about those who do not obey the gospel of God. They face the flaming vengeance and judgment of God in eternal destruction. He uses that word. Okay, So he's not using the same word. The word that he uses, however, is a word that you would find at this time in this society that sometimes it would appear in what would be the equivalent of a building contract. And it would be in reference to damage or harm that was done in the construction of a building. Now... When you realize that that word, destruction, is referring to that, you begin to see that this fits right in its context. Now see... I've told you this before and I'll tell you again. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to study your New Testament. You just need to be somebody that can learn to set things in context. And if you look in context, guess what the context is? In the verses that preceded this admonition in verses 16 and 17, guess what he's talking about? He's talking about building. He's talking about people who are building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Some people are building out of of gold and silver and are doing great things, making famous the name of Jesus. Others are building and building out of wood, hay, and stubble. And it's just very sloppy kingdom work. They themselves will be saved, he talks about. But it's one who's escaping through the very flames of hell. But they themselves will be saved but somewhere here there's some group that is crossing the line they're moving from sloppy work into something that's detrimental harmful to the temple so what we're looking at here what we're talking about here is bringing great harm or damage on the temple of God and if you bring great harm or damage on God's temple God is going to bring harm on you or there is judgment that will be incurred okay now that brings us to another question that we've got to ask that question is what does God's temple Refer to in this passage. What, is it, what does it mean? The warning text says, if anyone destroys God's temple. Now, you highlighted the word destroy. Now, highlight the word God's temple. Okay? Highlight the word temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. In the sense as we defined. What then is he talking about? So... What is it referring to? Our society is so self-focused, we're so, especially in America, we're so individualistic. Everything starts with us. Everything's about us. It's an individual. Okay, And we have a tendency to um, just sort of assume that what Paul means here in this text when he's talking about the temple is that he's talking about our bodies, and that would be correct. If, if we were talking about his reference to the temple of God over in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and verse 19, but this is chapter 3, this is chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and that's not what he's talking about. Okay, that's not the context here. Here... The metaphor of God's temple is referring to the church body. It is referring to the church of God. It's not about individuals being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but about us as a collective group being the habitation of the Holy Spirit. It's about the grouping of individuals in the local church as the house of God. So. We're talking about bringing harm, ruin, corruption, damage on the local church body. Now you say, Scott, that's real neat. How do you know that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I know that, again, from two things. The context and the grammar the context and the grammar the greek grammar makes it clear first consider the context again in the verses prior to in the prior to this Paul was reminding believers that Jesus Christ was the one true foundation of the church. He then continues his architectural metaphor telling us how to build carefully off that foundation as I already noted for you. And then he, 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 some are building well, some are building sloppily. Then again, like I said, somewhere along the line, some people have gone worse than sloppy. They're bringing absolute Harm and damage to the local church. And to them and to us, Paul gives a sobering warning. And then, right after this particular section of Scripture, in verses 18 through 23, Paul picks up with his discussion of the collective problem of worldly wisdom and factionalism in the church of God in Corinth. So here's what I want you to see. In the verses above this, he's talking about the church body. In the verses below that, he's talking about the church body. Well, you better believe verses 16 and 17 are not some island unto themselves. There is a flow of contextual thought like the thread that goes through a needle that's running through that chapter, and when he's talking about God's temple there, he's still talking about God's church collectively. He's not going to shift thought. The grammar grammar clarifies this. The grammar in the Greek clarifies this. It makes it very clear that Paul is not referring to individuals as the temple of God, but the collective community of faith, the church of Jesus Christ. How do I know this? In this text, the word you in this verse is plural in the Greek. In the English, the word you, when you read you, that's kind of ambiguous. You don't know if it means you singular sometimes or if it means you plural sometimes. Now, we southerners are geniuses. We've sort of corrected that problem for that. We say y'all. Y'all, how y'all doing? That's our sophisticated Greek pluralized form of you. Okay? Is y'all. You know that, and most of translate. You don't have a translate. So it's going to translate that, y'all. <laughs> okay, all right, or you all, or whatever. It's not going to do that. So sometimes you don't know exactly. What it is, again, you have to work with context sometimes to see what is meant, but the actual word is in the plural. It's in the plural. So when Paul asks in verse number 16, "Do you not know that you are God's temple?" he's asking, "Do you all y'all know collectively that y'all are the temple of God?" He isn't talking about you as an individual. He's referring. To the church body, now of course his question is sarcastic, of course it's rhetorical in nature, for the Corinthian church, who thought they were something else, full of all so-called knowledge and wisdom. They were really half-wise and thought of themselves to be a little more than they were. They were spiritually arrogant. They, and they, Some of them in their arrogance, though, were crossing the line to not just sloppily building off the foundation that God had laid in Corinth. They were doing outright damage and detriment to the local church in that community of Corinth. And that was a serious thing. That was a serious matter. And I tell you today, there are people in churches that are doing damage to a local church and its witness in the community, and they will give an account. So we must be careful. The church is a, is a serious thing. The local church is a serious thing. I mean, it is the church body Jesus bought with his own blood. He bought he purchased a specific, a particular people, the church. Read Ephesians. Now. This is serious. This is a serious thing. Question number three, probably the one that you're most interested in, is how do people harm the local house of God? The situation is this. The collective community of, of, community of faith is working together in the local church to build off the foundation of Jesus Christ again. In context, some were building well, others not so well. Some were in the building process and something tragic happens and someone causes great damage to the local church. Now, without a doubt, we know the gates of hell will not prevail against the church universal, but the actions of a single individual can render a local expression of the church ineffective in its community. Just like a real building can become damaged and gets condemned because of that damage, the local church, an expression of the local church, can be condemned in the community in which it sits. I have, on more than one occasion, run into people who will not go to a certain church I haven't experienced this here, but who will not go to a certain church because of the reputation of that church in the community, because of some individuals. Those individuals, I tell you, would have brought harm on the local church witness in that community, and it can no longer serve its purpose of bringing maximum glory to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God over all men forever praised. He, he, he can't do that anymore. So I tell you, God's anger is kindled against such a person, whether that person was wheat or tear, lost or saved in that church body. Now, the list of ways that a church Body can be harmed are really endless. However, I want to give you the feel for certain types of ways that the church body can be for, harmed. And the way I want to do that is by, again, limiting my discussion to the context of the church in Corinth. Limiting my discussion to the context of of 1 Corinthians. And when you look in 1 Corinthians, you see there were some things that were going on that had crossed the line that were doing great harm to that church body and its witness there. The first one that I would give you would be the problem of factionalism and division. Factionalism and division can cause damage. If you'll remember in chapter 1 of First Corinthians, and then again here in chapter 3, Paul addressed the problem of factions and divisions that were disrupting unity and were crippling their effectiveness in Corinth. He addressed that issue there. In this case, the divisiveness in Corinth centered on preaching personalities. Some would say, Well, I follow Apollos, or No, I'm gonna follow. Paul. Somebody else might say, well, I, I, I like Peter's preaching. I, I, like, I like his preaching. I like the way he, he does things. And they had these, these factions that formed and centered around different preaching personalities, apostleship personalities, if you will. And, and, and so there was all kinds of fuss and argument, infighting there. And that's probably some people out in the city of Corinth that just didn't want to be a part of that. I mean, those folks aren't acting any different than these folks arguing over here at the pagan temple. I mean, you know? Uh, and so there's all this division and fussing and infighting that was was going on. Okay? Um, you, you, you have to be careful. Um, now, I understand that you need to confront false Prophets and false teachers, I understand that you need to expose them. But to badmouth a church leader because his style does not float your boat is wrong. It's evil. It's evil. It's just plain evil to do that. Okay? You can't get caught up in a style war. Style is irrelevant. Substance is of importance. Okay? Substance is of importance and so you've got to be careful what you say about the man of God because you may be harming the church and God may soon harm you so again it affects, it hurts the church so we, we want to do everything we can I, tell you, I will help you in this because it's so easy to get caught up in these kinds of arguments and things and, and, and cause division we, we need to be proactive in watching what we say about one another. Okay? We've got to be proactive in that. We've got to be proactive in that because most factions and divisions start because somebody said something somewhere about somebody or something and they weren't even thinking. And that's where it all began. Okay? And it may have started out as not something so bad, but then it develops and snowballs into something that is just outrageous. So we need to be careful about that, about what we say about people. Um, there's a British pastor by the name of Alan Redpath, who in his book, A Passion for Preaching, um, he, he said this, and it's to help, it was to help his church. I mean, he was in a very stressful pastorate at one time where there was a lot of things going on. He, he said this about that situation. He said, I once formed a Mutual Encouragement Fellowship At a time of stress in one of my pastorates, the members subscribed to a simple formula applied before speaking of any person or subject that was perhaps controversial. And the acrostic was think, think, think before you speak. And so this is what that acrostic meant think about it before you say it, okay? T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? If what I'm about to say, he goes on to say, does not pass those tests, I keep my mouth shut. And that worked for me. There's a lot of truth in that. It kind of reminds me of something my daddy used to always tell me. Scott, you need to think before you say something. Or you need to think before you do something. Sometimes we just don't think. We just ride our emotions of passion. And we don't think. We become a bunch of mindless Christians sputtering off things without having really thought about it. And that can result in damage. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We need to be careful. So in the context of Corinth, we see factualism and causing divisions. That was one thing that was bringing harm on that church body. Um, then we see this issue, and, and this would come naturally out of what I just told you, but we see this issue in Corinth of false accusations and slander and gossip causing damage. Um, you know, without a doubt, the type of factionalism and division that existed in Corinth uh, it resulted in another um, temple destroying vice, and that was the false exact accusation and gossip and stuff that was spread specifically about Paul. Paul came under attack in Corinth, Paul was under attack there. Uh, matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul had to defend the legitimacy of his apostleship. He had to defend his own ministry to the Corinthian church. There were some among them that disliked Paul so much that they accused him, they accused Paul the apostle, who wrote most of your New Testament, by the way, they accused him of being a person that walked in the flesh and not in the spirit. So they were, they were doing damage saying these things. I mean, here Paul is writing letters to the church, and there's these, these people out there just saying all of these bad things about Paul. And it was caused in damage. It was being disruptive. Um, uh, They perhaps were like a lot of people, they were just attacking what they do not understand. And that's what I found. Most people go on the tack when they don't understand something. They don't understand it. They don't logically think through it. They're just flying by the the emotions. And they're not really thinking through the truth about something. Um, But Think, before you speak, think about issues. Think carefully about the fruit or damage of what you might be doing. Um, and, because listen, temple destroyers, you will not escape God's judgment. Okay? You won't escape it. And, 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 and some of you may be very much guilty of this. I don't know, but, <laughs> But, repent. Repent of that great sin this very moment. For it is grace and mercy that you're hearing this right now. It is grace and mercy that you're being confronted with this sober warning of of Paul. And that's true of every warning in Scripture. Every admonition that comes. That's, That's grace and mercy that we would hear these things. Another thing that we see in the context of of Corinth is we see that that false teaching causes damage um, you see bad theology results in bad methodology now we don't know in Corinth what the specific doctrinal issues were but we can be assured there were some doctrinal issues there that were going on because and we know that because of the just bad practice they had going, their their bad practice in the way they did church, um, what they were doing in church. Um, it, we know that their their beliefs were tainted with worldly wisdom. Paul was having to to address this issue. We know that. That, that their bad theology is, it, it, it resulted in the bad methodology of abusing spiritual gifts. It, it resulted in their, their irreverence when they came together to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, and Paul said, it's not the Lord' body you honor when you come together. And so, you know, there were all kinds of things that were going on. And so false teaching can damage. Um, now, You are setting yourself up to be a temple destroyer if you don't take doctrine and theology seriously. It's important. People say, well, doctrine's not important. False doctrine's not important. Chunk it out the window. Theology's not important. You are a theologian by nature, whether you like it or not. You're going to do theology. The moment you say, I think something about God, you became a theologian. Some of you are just bad theologians, okay? All right? So you want to, theology and, and doctrine is of the utmost importance. I'll give you an example of this in Scripture. On um, Paul wrote in first Timothy chapter six verses three and four. He says this He said, If anyone this is how important doctrine is, okay, he says if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has a healthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicion. Okay, so doctrine's important, okay? And in Second Timothy chapter 2, he warned us about two specific people. He warned us about Hy- Hymenaeus and Philetus. That, uh, he, and he, he talks about them there and how they were teaching some bad theology. They were teaching, you know what they were doing? They were teaching some false theology about the resurrection. And you know what Paul said about that? You say, oh, well, that's not bad. They just have a different opinion about about how the resurrection takes place. Well, I tell you what, it was so offensive to Paul, he compared their false theology to gangrene. (laughs) Okay? So it is serious stuff. Um, False teaching can destroy the local expression of the church. Destroy it. Um, History bears witness to this reality. Um, it happened 150 years ago to church, certain churches in New England, churches that once thrived as evangelical churches who proclaimed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are silent now, silent in the sense of their effectiveness. You know what happened to them? Unitarianism became to begin to develop. You know what Unitarianism is? It teaches this idea of universalism that all paths lead to God. And so uh, Unitar- they had a, 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 a wave of Unitarian pastors that held to Unitarian beliefs that came into certain churches. And those churches you can go to today, and they're really not much of anything anymore. They're like museums. Bad theology can harm and destroy a local expression of the church. The doctrines of demons can slowly be introduced to congregations so much so that they no longer rest on the rock of Jesus Christ. And that is serious. Now, I have two more questions, and I'm not going to spend as much time on them so you can relax. All right. um, Two questions. The first one is, how does God destroy the perpetrators of ruin on the local church? Because it says, if you harm, if you destroy, God will destroy you. How does He do that? I'm already telling you that it's not the word that's referring to eternal destruction. How then are they harmed? How, how are they harmed? Well, again, I'm limiting myself to the context of 1st Corinthians. How are they harmed? Well, i give you an example. Um, one is through excommunication. I so, said, oh, oh, really? Yes. Uh, in 1st Corinthians chapter 5, they had a brother, a professing brother, who was caught up in a um, immoral sexual relationship uh, with uh, possibly his mother-in-law. And so... The the issue they were kind of sweeping it under the rug when they should have addressed it. They should have, uh, act, you know, enacted church discipline, which is not to cast someone out, but rather to try and get them to to repent, to to turn from their wickedness, and and restore him into uh, the gracious um, uh, family of faith. But they didn't do that, and this person was not repentant. So what did Paul suggest that they do? Well, you, you, you expel that brother out from among you. That's the language of Paul. And why did Paul say do that, though? It wasn't uh, just simply to, to, to destroy him, destroy him, but it was so that he might, and here's some language that are really body, he said so that he might be handed over to Satan and his flesh might be destroyed. It was redemptive, actually. You understand, excommunication is hopefully, if they're a believer, it's going to have a redemptive action in their life. Okay, And then that might have brought them to their senses in repentance. But anyway, we see excommunication in Corinth. Uh, we see how God's um, sickness um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30, those that, that were not honoring the Lord in the, in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Paul says, this is why some of you are sick. Among you, sick, illness, physical sickness. And then there's physical death because also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30, Paul said, this is also why some of you have died. Died. I mean, you know, you're playing around with holy things like it's okay. And, 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 and you died. Now, it, we can't ignore that. That's in the text. That's in, in 1 Corinthians. That's one of the ways that God brings harm on those that harm His church. Now, I want to wrap up though, because I don't want to give you this, 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 this horrible image of this wrathful God, who is very wrathful, by the way, but we're not appointed unto wrath, church. Why does God destroy them? The swift judgment of verse 17, God will damage or ruin them, is severe, Yet, I want you to understand this. This judgment upon those who are ruiners of the church is out of unfailing love, mercy, and grace. And you say, how? Well, think about it. I'll give you four reasons. Okay. Think about it. The Spirit of God dwells in the local church body collectively. He inhabits the local church. And God must protect the fame of His great name. You know what God does? God does for His name's sake. God must protect His name. And we are to be the reflectors of His name. So that's one reason why God does this. Bring harm in some way of judgment upon those that are guilty of this. But then also, I'll give you another reason. The blood of Jesus purchased the church... And God prizes the ransom people. God does not want someone to bring harm on his church body, therefore He will deal with that issue. okay? Also, the Spirit of God dwells in the inside of the saved temple destroyer. Do you hear me? the saved temple destroyer, and God must destroy their flesh. So sometimes the judgment and harm comes upon you for a redemptive reason, just like that was Paul's hope's in the case of the immoral brother that would not repent of his sin that if they excommunicated him it was like he was being handed over to Satan and Paul used the language to destroy his flesh so that maybe the inclinations for whatever was driving him to his immorality would be destroyed so that having been afflicted he wouldn't go astray anymore. And so maybe. But then... The Spirit of God is gracious, and perhaps He wills to save the lost temple destroyer. There are lost people in church ranks that are temple destroyers. And perhaps if God brings harm and judgment upon them... Because we're not talking about hell and eternal destruction. Perhaps that it's something that God will use to sober their minds up so much that they would see and behold the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they would repent and be saved. So when God says He will destroy those who harm the temple, it's not that He's going to eternally destroy them at this point. That's not what that's talking about. It could be a very redemptive thing. There could be much sovereign grace in that word, destroying them. Because some people, it will bring them to the end of themselves, and they will so be gloriously, sovereignly saved by the Lord God, who is mighty to save. You guys are very familiar with a temple destroyer who is mightily saved. His name was, and he was a lost temple destroyer. His name was Paul. You remember Paul? Paul wanted to stamp out the name of Jesus. Paul wanted to kill the early church. God brought harm onto Paul. He blinded him on the road to Damascus. Oh, that was harm. That was harm. That was damage to him physically at that moment. But guess what? The harm was redemptive that Paul might be saved. And now, what happened to that one time ex-temple destroyer? He's now an apostle who has written much of your New Testament. (laughs) The goodness of God is overwhelming at times. That sometimes what we read as could be a negative, is a very negative and a painful thing, could be very redemptive in its product. I think that's good news. But I tell you what. Saved person who harms the temple, judgment begins at the house of God. And, you know, it it may be some painful stuff for you. I think it might even be more painful for you than it would be for the lost man, because the lost man's blind and you're supposed to be able to see. And you may go through some serious stuff that may ultimately lead to your death. But then it will be glory for you. You'll be like one who's escaped through the very flames, but you yourself will be saved. You yourself will be saved. So, let us heed the warning of Paul that if anyone brings harm on the local church body, then God will bring harm on His church, on you. You don't mess with God's church. You don't mess with the collective blood-bought saints of the living God. You don't. You don't do that. The church—that is God's God's project. That is God's means of advancing His kingdom on this earth. That is. That is. God's vehicle of proclaiming the gospel into all the world and seeing that people are added to the kingdom of God. That is God's way. He has chosen to work through that blood-bought body that He set apart and saved before you and I were ever a thought. (laughs) That's good. Now, let's pray tonight. Father. God, we thank You for Your glorious truth. And Father, I pray that You will help us to respond rightly to Your truth. God, may we be obedient to Your truth. And Father, I pray that there will be a spirit of repentance amongst Your people who might be teetering and tottering on the edge of bringing harm to this local church or any local church body any true church, Father. And Lord, I pray, Father, for any among us that are not a part of the church, I pray that, Father, tonight would be the night that they would repent and trust in Christ alone. It is in Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen.